How you doing, folks? This is Rick Manning, President of Americans for Limited Government. Thanks for joining us. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did um, from all of us here at ALG. Just wanted to we hope that you had a great Thanksgiving and hope you were able to spend some time with family, loved ones, and others just reconnecting. Um, sometimes we don't see each other all that much, and uh, uh, it's good to get together. And sometimes it's hard when we get together because we don't see each other all that much. But um, just hope it was great, uh, a great time of respite and relaxation for you. Um, I wanted to have a conversation today about something which is going on, um, which I think is actually on a, on a, ma on a major level, on a, on a big picture level, one of the most important things that's happening, and it's kind of being covered in episodically, but not in terms of a, of a big, uh, kind of the ramifications um, but you can always tell what the ramifications are based on who's playing and who who's caring about it. Um, but first, I'm going to I'm going to just give one last little plug. Um, this it was really yesterday was our last day when I could guarantee delivery of these calendars. But if you missed it, you still can't get them. And we, we're told there's a three week delivery time. Um, so and that's why we're we're we don't want to cut it too close. Um, but if you go online at uh, getliberty.org and go to the ALG merge section, you can order. You can still order calendars with a 99.9% certitude it'll get there. Um, but if you wait until this week, until Friday, you know, fact of the matter is every day we miss is a day that it doesn't get delivered to you. So um, we're pushing it. I, I had set the deadline as Cyber, to Cyber Monday, um, but... You know, I, I think I'm being open and transparent. Uh, I can't guarantee the delivery, but it's pretty, you know, once again, I'm being told three weeks delivery. So you can do the math yourself and see they should arrive in time. Um, if the people who are doing the production get it done in the timeline, they've said they're going to get it done in. Having said that, um, that's the only pitch I'm going to do on that. The other thing is we do have a piece that's going out uh, to all those who are email subscribers. Um, reminding you that there is an opportunity on Giving Tuesday to give money to Americans for Limited Government Research Foundation. If you like the things we're doing, you know, help us out. If you, um, you know, at the very least, check us out. And uh, if you haven't already, um, I would urge you to go to uh, getliberty.org and just subscribe to the free subscription um, to the week, the daily newsletter, which has a lot of great content, has our cartoons, has all the different things we do arrives in your inbox every morning, Monday through Friday, and some special editions on uh, sometimes on uh, Saturday. So just uh, keep yourself in the loop. And truthfully, you know, with you know, uncertainties related to social media and how how many people actually get our stuff on social media, um, it's really important if you want to get the material every single day to allow us to email it to you. There's no charge to you for any of this. It is simply it is something we pay for. We pay for it because we want you to have the truth in your inbox every single day. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about Elon Musk. Um, and the reason I want to talk about Elon Musk is a lot about what we just what I just said about the uh, uncertainty of social media platforms. What we're seeing is a battle of titans, and the, and Elon Musk is at the center of it. I am. I am not a an Elon Musk, you know, um, sycophant. I am not somebody who sits there and loves Elon Musk. Um, and I'm not somebody who hates Elon Musk. 
I have attacked Elon Musk in the past because of his venture socialism and his dependence on government taxpayer dollars to build his companies, and rightfully so. Um, I've applauded Elon Musk for trying to break away from the social media, um, actually oligarchy, and, and really try to set, make it so free speech is restored on the web. Um, and that's where, really what we're talking about here. Uh, when Elon Musk set out to buy Twitter, what he discovered was that this was a quagmire that he was walking into. He was walking into a system where the employees were um, literally wore their wokeism as a badge of courage um, and encouraged each other to challenge each other who could be more woke. He walked into a circumstance where the board of directors initially fought like crazy to keep him from buying the company. And then when he said, fine, I won't buy the company, they fought like crazy to force him to buy the company. So he now owns the company. He's laid off a bunch of Twitter employees. And we've had circumstances where um, some advertisers have said, oh, well, we're not going to advertise anymore there, which including Apple, um, which has dropped about, uh, has ended, said they're not going to be doing about $1.5 million of advertising on Twitter this year. Um, Twitter's actual usership is, according to Musk, has been going up since he bought it. Um, which is uh, not surprising. It's a it's a vibrant platform that is, uh, and people have to tune into to Twitter to find out what Elon Musk is saying. And he uses the platform a lot. In fact, he may make Donald Trump look like a piker when it comes to using social media to cause cause a stir and disruption. So it's a uh, so in some respects, he is a he's an avid user of Twitter, and in doing and in doing so, he's validating the the virtue of having diverse opinions on the platform that are debating in a civil way back and forth. Um, because truthfully, if we don't talk to one another, there's no way we can we can uh, come together on any of the issues that matter in this country. And it really is hard. And truthfully, Twitter is more about poking at each other than it is talking. But his goal is to, according to his self-described goal, is to make it so it's a conversation marketplace as opposed to a, uh, a directed only allowed to talk about certain things conversation marketplace and that's where the that's where the trouble is that's where the where the fight is and that's why this is perhaps the most the least reported story at least in term based on its actual real impact on the world and here's why this matters twitter was set up and the founders bragged that it was going to be a social media platform that would allow for um, dissidents in countries around the world to be able to communicate without government censorship. That was one of the things they were proud of when they, when the, um, uh, when we had the, the uh, during the Obama administration, we had in the Middle East um, this the summer where a lot of the different uh, Muslim Brotherhood groups were rioting in the streets and, and and trying to take over various governments in the Middle East. Um, it was it was a Twitter was one of the biggest vehicles they used to communicate because it couldn't be censored by the government. Um, the you know we see it time and again that when there when there are dissident activities around the world, it's Twitter that, that was one of the means of directly communicating what was going on, and journalists would monitor different people around the world to see what was happening and to get ideas and things they should write about what was going you know what was hot what was not. And in fact, you know, Donald Trump used Twitter quite aggressively and effectively 
to run a counterculture campaign against the establishment that caught the establishment off guard and caught the, and, and, you know, once again, uh, they didn't expect he would win the nomination, but the, the left was pretty happy he did because they thought he was beatable. And then 2016, he beat them. And the people at Twitter and the people at Google and elsewhere uh, and Facebook all vowed that they would never allow that to happen again. They'd never allow their platforms, their precious platforms to be used to have somebody they didn't agree with win an election. And that's when we started seeing pervasive censorship on the platforms. But that's changed. But, and so we've seen that occur. And this is not news. Everybody's known about it. It's been talked about ad nauseum. That's not the story that hasn't been told. Everybody knows that the censorship on Google um, and the bearing of uh, different people of conservative websites um, has been being done. It's deliberately done. We know that it's 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 in their it's in their own. You know, we, we see it. We've seen their own releases from Project Veritas about what happens. Um, and they don't make any bones about it. They're, it's a partisan or it's a partisan platform. Um, you know, Facebook is Mark Zuckerberg has talked about how the federal government has pressured Facebook and, and Twitter, for that matter, um, has pressured Facebook to engage in censorship of things that the federal government determined was misinformation disin or disinformation. And or and that's a and that has been occurring since about 2018. Um, actually, and really took root. Um, it took root in 2020 when the Homeland Department of Homeland Security started telling Facebook and briefing Facebook and Twitter and others that, you know, we really got to block misinformation. We have to make certain that people don't get the wrong idea about COVID, uh, the unapproved idea. The only idea, the only conversation about COVID that could occur was conversations approved by the by Dr. Anthony Fauci. And so we had a, and, and the federal government, make no bones about it, Homeland Security has it on, had it on their website, CISA.gov, uh, CISA.gov um, is where it was, uh, is where it was housed. They, they bragged about the, the censorship and getting uh, on election security issues, on COVID issues, um, and, and a couple of other issues. So they were very proud of the fact that they were engaged in censorship. Now, subsequently, they say, you know, there's been said by in the last three weeks, oh, we didn't engage in censorship. We merely informed informed these social media platforms that there was some that there might be some problems in terms of the veracity of information. And but we didn't compel them to do anything. Wink, wink. You know, it's let me just be clear, and I think you all know this. If the FBI comes to you and your company and they say, you know, we really don't like what th this stuff being put out there. Here's some better stuff. Uh, you think you can do something to make certain that lies aren't being spread on your uh, on your on your platform? If you're if you're that particular platform, and the FBI comes to you with that with that message, it's pretty darn compelling that you better comply with what they want you to do. And when what they want you to do happens to fit with your philosophical beliefs, it becomes very easy to be complicit in censorship. And this was a way that the FBI and Homeland Security figured out that they could use social media platforms to censor and say, oh, government isn't censoring you. There's no First Amendment rights violated here. It's private companies and it's their platform. And a lot of conservatives nodded their head and said, 
oh yeah, well, you know, is there a private property? What can we do? And forgetting that antitrust law specifically is, is aimed at this exact kind of domination of a marketplace that the social media companies have enjoyed. So there's a so there's a legislative component to it that truthfully, I had conversations with the Department of Justice and the Trump administration about it. And I, some other day I'll go into that. That's a long story um, about the different options that occur. But ultimately, I think the, the key is um, the major media companies are too big. And they they're operating as a you know hege, in a hegemonous way where they're basically all working together, and as a result, um, they were like you know four fingers and a thumb, ball you know all together it doesn't do much damage, but when you ball it up in a fist, it can do some real harm. Well, they were a, they were a fist balled up, uh, and the federal government was aiming that fist at what at the information it wanted to squelch. We saw it. We've all lived through it. We've seen the the things banning stuff because it's COVID. You know, here's what the federal government says you should know about this. And well, they put a big gray screen over um, the information that actually turned out later on to be true. Um, but that's how the information control mechanism has existed until Elon Musk bought Twitter. And they took that power so seriously. Then when a little startup called Parler, which many of you know about and may still belong to because it's still operating, when a little startup called Parler started having a few million people on it and you know, compared to the hundreds of millions, uh, billions worldwide on a Facebook, um, it became such a threat because people were talking and, and talking about things that they weren't supposed to talk about, weren't supposed to be allowed to be talked about. Um, in 2020. And so what happened? Well, uh, maybe it's 2019. I'm trying to remember the year. It doesn't really matter. Uh, point is, it was a threat because it was taking on, it was growing and it was growing by leaps and bounds. So what happened? Well, the web hosting service, Amazon Web Services, withdrew their web hosting. They said, we are not going to host your website anymore. Not because they didn't pay their bills, but because Amazon Web Services had we don't like your content. Apple said, well, we're not going to allow your, most of these, most of these things operate off of uh, the cell phone. So your mobile phone and people, are, so the app, the mobile enabled app is critical for the survival of uh, social media platforms. And Apple said, well, we're not going to allow your app. We're going to disable all the apps for Parler because we don't like your content policies. We think you're allowing too much free speech. And since we don't agree with free speech that's being offered, we're going to say we're going to put content controls on it. We're not going to sell your app anymore in a store or allow your app to be distributed. And we're going to disable the, the apps that already are out there, basically cutting off a massive audience. So what happens? So then Google does the exact same thing. And suddenly none of the apps for Parler work. They aren't they are they've effectively been wiped off the Web. By Amazon Web Services, and so effectively, Parler then spent almost six months trying to recover, and truthfully, never has. Um, they, they had some stops and starts and some other problems, but the fact of the matter is, a, a program, a, a product that was a vibrant product that was operating in the free market, got destroyed because of the cartel, the Silicon Valley cartel, 
that rose up against them. So many of us were very pretty frustrated about that. And we we're talking about antitrust. We're talking about all sorts of different things that could be done. And really didn't weren't getting very far. Uh, we're talking about new platforms. You know, Truth Social is is going to be a new platform, is a new platform that's come from that. And in fact, I'm going to be talking to Devin Nunes, who's the CEO of Trump Social, uh, Truth Social, rather, tomorrow at uh, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time um, live. And then we'll do some cut-ups and, uh, and put out tape, tape versions for people who can't be there live. But tomorrow, mark it on your calendar, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, I'm going to be interviewing Devin Nunes and talking about Tr Truth Social, talking about he was the House Intelligence Committee chairman and the ranking member. And so he was at the heart of all the deep state stuff. He was he was investigating them. He was he was going after them, and he and no one knows more about how fight how the FISA warrants were gathered and the like than Devin Nunes. So we're going to have some interesting conversations about what legally can be done to rein in the deep state um, based on his experience. I hope Devin's watching so he knows that's what I'm going to ask him. But uh, we actually met with Devin about five years ago and had this conversation in his office when I was uh, when Americans for Limited Government was naming him our legislator of the year. And I uh, had an hour long conversation with about him about it that was really informative. And we've talked to him about it over the years. And so I'm really now that he's on the outside, I'm really interested in what he can tell us about legis potential legislative remedies without violating any of the um, classified information that he was privy to as a, a member of the House Intelligence Committee. So that's gonna be a fun conversation, 10.30 in the morning tomorrow. I'd encourage you to put it on your calendar. Um, it'll be right on this stream yard, so it'll be uh, an easy get. Um, let's see here, um, where was I? Oh yeah, so you have a, so we're, here's where we are. It's very simple. We now have Elon Musk trying to reestablish Twitter as a as a free thought platform and it is driving the dominant left nuts because they can't have any of the platforms that have massive audiences have not be break out of the mold of being you know cookie cutter one set of information fits all because it destroys their their monopoly on information and information um, getting out and so you have, and so it's because it's caused massive problems, um, and the left is going nuts over it. And so we have, you know, today um, headline: Biden administration says it's keeping an eye on Elon Musk's Twitter. Well, let's just be. What the? Can you imagine if the Trump administration? had had Kaylee McEnany, has he gotten up and said, we're keeping an eye on Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, or we're keeping an eye on uh, Jeff Bezos's Amazon. Can you imagine the uproar about government censorship and how dare they? Can you imagine? Well, right there, this is American military news that, that I picked it up off of, um, but right there, you've got the press secretary who has been, who sits there and is, being very open that they are they are going to use they're threatening to use the full power of the United States government to attack a platform a communication platform that they can't control and that's their bitch sorry for the term that's their complaint 
It's that they can't control Twitter now. And since they can't control Twitter, they can't control information flow. And if they can't control information flow, they can't censor information from the American public. They can't allow, they can't afford to have free expression, free speech. The old, you know, that old idea, gee, that's so quaint. Can't afford to have that happening because some people might not say exactly what's true. Never mind the fact that it's the federal government that more often than not, are the ones who are saying, are giving us a spin. And uh, as uh, Bill O'Reilly might say, if he was doing marketing for Elon Musk, he might call Twitter the new no spin zone because the way you counter spin is you have other ideas pushing back. So people can sit there and say, wait a second, that narrative doesn't make sense. I think this makes sense. By having the competition of arguments and competition of ideas, that's how you get to the truth. It's been that way. Since the, since the dawn of civilization. And every, every time a government seeks to control the information flows to their populace, it is not because they're protecting the populace, it's because they're protecting the government. So, but, you know, Joe Biden has said, and out of his own mouth in the last three weeks, that they're that that Twitter they're going to be looking at Twitter. We've got it confirmed by uh, by the press secretary. We have uh, you know we have other things that are going on in terms of this. Um, we have uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just wanted to remind you of of this little gem. Uh, this was uh, Halloween, believe it or not. It's a perfect perfect story for Halloween since it's a scary one. Facebook and Twitter worked closely with the Department of Homeland Security and FBI to censor disinformation, also known as the truth. Now, this isn't news that that occurred. They bragged about it. The FBI, and this, by the way, was you know eight days before the election. The FBI bragged about their office in San Francisco, which is where the Silicon Valley is, is just south of San Francisco. Um, their office in San Francisco has agents who specifically spend all their time talking to social media companies to alert them to different things that they don't think social media company that people should see. It's a, and you know, it's this collaboration. Once again, it's dangerous because if you deny people the ability to have a cross section of ideas, then you don't have any ideas. You only have what you're being fed. And I will admit right now, very candidly, that the fact that I'm stand, sitting here on various social media platforms having this conversation is really the benefit of the social media conversation. And it makes the point that rather than censoring, they should encourage uh, arguments, debates, fights, because A, that's in their business interest, and B, it's also in the the national interest to have real discussions about real issues that matter. And there aren't very many issues that matter more than the capacity to have freedom of expression in the political domain. That's what the First Amendment's all about. You know, freedom of the press isn't so a bunch of people you know, with a lot of money can run newspapers. Freedom of the press was about free expression of ideas. And remember, at the time, the press was a, series, a bunch of you know, broadside tabloids that were being published you know, across the country. 
There was no interlinking groups of people who were talking. It was they weren't doing dominant speech. You were getting getting ideas from Ben Franklin, who was a printer in Philadelphia, to printers who had different ideas in New York, different ideas in Boston, different ideas in Richmond, different ideas throughout the colonies, from little little you know town you know printing presses um, to very to ones that are in bigger towns. Thomas Paine. You remember Thomas Paine? He wrote. He wrote the. Um, oh gosh. Ugh. Anyway, Thomas Paine had wrote a best-selling pamphlet that was printed on a printing press and distributed around. It was the best sell. It was better selling than on a per capita basis than anything that's sold today, any Stephen King novel. And it was actually a, discuss a discussion of basic human rights and liberties. Things that, you know, back then in the primitive 1770s, the common person could understand and could discuss and could argue. And today we're not even allowed to read it, let alone discuss it and argue it. Um, and it seems the more education we get, the less we're able to handle basic discourse. So anyway, that's the um, that's one of the things that I, I, I that's an issue, and, and Elon Musk is taking a, a beating over this. He's getting attacked. Um, we now see Apple, once again, they, they've withdrawn their advertising. They're now threatening uh, the app, the Twitter app on their Apple phones, um, saying we're going to, they're looking at whether they should withdraw the app, you know, attempting to, due to Twitter, massive Twitter, what they did to little Parler. When they, when they destroyed Parler, it was not about, it was about Parler, but it was less about Parler than it was a proof point of what they could do to others who didn't fall in line. Twitter was one of the big, is one of the big four, one of the big four in terms of communication platforms. And the fact that Apple would sit there and, and kind of wink and nod and, and say, gee, we could always uh, take away your, uh, take away your app. So the Apple iPhones won't won't be able to get Twitter. The fact that they would th they can threaten that shows you the immense power that's being exerted against Musk, who has a lot of money, personal money to lose if Twitter fails. And that personal power is being exerted not because they don't want they worry about employees being laid off. I mean, Apple's Apple lays off employees all the time. They build their stuff using uh, slave labor in China. They're having a massive problem at the Foxconn plant where they, their stuff gets built, their iPhones get built because the people are protesting in the in the plant because they're locked down due to COVID in China. And there's and there's protests in the plant because people can't go home. So there's lots of, you know, I've, Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, has a lot of problems in his distribution chain right now because he's still relying on China. So he's, and yet, what's he spending time doing? He's spending his time worrying about trying to shut down Twitter because ultimately, if you're part of the, of the cool kid club who controls the media platforms, you can't let the new kid disrupt your business model. You can't let the new kid, Elon Musk in this case, um, come in and break up your monopoly on information distribution. And that's how important this is to the left and to the dominant culture. The, the, those who decide what our children are going to see, 
Those who decide what we're going to see, those who decide whether or not you're going to see what I say. So that's your, that's the thing that's going on here. And we're not, and nobody's talking about in that context. Once again, I, Elon Musk is an enigma. He's probably the most brilliant person um, in the 21st century uh, because of the various things that he's conceived of, the things he's funded uh, and the various, uh, on so many different areas, making an impact in so many different areas of technology. Some of it kind of scary, the AI stuff and, and the like, but he's a, you know, he's a forward thinker in all ways. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. As a forward thinker, he looks and he says, without thought, without freedom of thought, freedom of expression, forward thinkers can't survive. Forward thinkers can't thrive. And so he looks at this, he doesn't look at it from a First Amendment perspective per se, he looks at it from a human perspective. And the difference between freedom and totalitarianism is information flow. And when information flow gets restricted in a very narrow pipeline, with only certain informa approved information gets out, then you no longer have information flow, you have thought control. And that's what Elon Musk is pointing at. That's why he's getting attacked. And it is, um, and it's why, quite honestly, um, I think it's really important that we that we spend some time on Twitter and be and be active in supporting him in any way we can. I'm not sending him money, you know. I'm, I don't have money, but you know, it's there's not. I don't have. If I send him everything we had, um, he he wouldn't. It, it, that's you know that would be the equivalent of the change that falls off his nightstand. So I don't think that's probably what we're going to do, but we can support the platform. We can support him in terms of our, our uh, political power and, and really keeping the discussion going about why this matters. So that's the, that's where we're going. I'm going to take some, uh, uh, I'm going to take some uh, comments. Uh, Florida girl. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, I'm glad you, you like the emails. Um, we work really hard on them. It's a, We've got we've got some great people who are doing them, and sometimes they, they don't go out as early because we're we're revising stuff in the morning based on things that we've learned. But you're you're going to get it five days a week minimum. Uh, we've never missed a day when we haven't sent it out. So, um, and I, I'm glad you like the content, and uh, I, I hope that you'll share any articles that you see um, with your friends that you like, um, because the way we grow is by people like you going in. Uh, sharing the content that you like so other people get exposed to it and other people can also uh, subscribe to the free subscription. Um, Jeanette, Jean Eddy, one, two, three. Yes, when I have no idea what you're yesing, but I'm glad that you liked it. Um, the uh, I was part of the presidential purge in January 2021. I'll never return to that platform. I'm also not going to participate in any social media. You know, Flora, I understand this. I, I truly do understand this sentiment. It is a, and and truthfully, um, it's one of my it's one of my reasons. I I've known Devin Nunes for a while, but it's one of the reasons I, I'm having Devin Nunes on the program tomorrow, and and we're going to talk to him tomorrow, because one of my hopes is that uh, we're trying to expand our presence on uh, on Truth Social, because a lot of people are not have either were purged off of the Facebook and Twitter um, or, or left because of the purge that was going on. 
and they are now on Truth Social. And we want to reach people who are on Truth Social because quite honestly, they're the ones, people on Truth Social, and, and this is not to denigrate anybody on any audi other audience, but on a, on a per capita basis, people on Truth Social are more likely to share our content, are more likely to uh, share our education materials we send out, share the cartoons, share the different research projects we do. Um, and because, and ultimately, if we're going to build an army, and this is a, a 501c4 function, uh, not the foundation, which is what the fundraising thing is going out later on. Building an army where we're able to impact issues is significant. And the single best way to build an army is to be able to get people who are like-minded, who understand the issues to, to, and give them a way to affect policy. Last year, or this year, I'm sorry, this year, we have, we've delivered over 26 million emails from people, just people who are out working for a living, doing their job. Uh, we've, we've had 26 million emails sent to Congress. Uh, and and some to corporations um, that were to try to convince those boards of directors that they should not uh, engage in private vaccination vaccination mandates for their employees. Um, some of them were to uh, baseball team owners who were sitting there trying and urging them not to move the. I guess that was last year, but um, it's an example. Um, not to move the All Star game out of Atlanta. We we put ton of emails into uh, Major League Baseball owners um, and with that exact intent and, you know, and got in to some good effect. They, they moved it, but we, we left a mark. It's a and so we, we've spent we've used that resource in a lot of different ways to impact policy, both on the corporate and on the political levels. Um, we've used it at state legislative levels. We've used it at uh, local levels to try to stop uh, localities from banning from doing vax mandates in place. So there's been a lot of a lot of places where people have been able to weigh in, have been able to talk to elected officials and have their say um, using a platform that we pay for, that we utilize, and that quite honestly is um, is a means to an end. And the end is to have as many people as possible be able to have a conversation with their government officials on issues that matter. And the way we can maximize that is by having as many people as possible doing things like following us on Facebook, which increases your likelihood of getting our content, um, becoming uh, becoming part of the Facebook group. Uh, that's a, a smaller group of people. Um, once again, no money involved, um, but becoming part of that Facebook group that gets uh, you get about 10 percent of our content delivered as opposed to 2 percent. Um, you get a signing up on the website and getting the emails. You're going to get, if you get the emails, <coughs> you know, check your spam filter if you're not getting stuff. But if you're getting, if you've signed up for emails, you're going to get something every day from us, at least Monday through Friday. And about, and I tried during the legislature's in session, I try to do one a week, which is on an issue that matters where people can weigh in. You don't have to go in and do every one, but we're trying to give you a capacity to be mobilized, to mobilize and make a difference. Because ultimately, our objective is not just to talk to people. Our objective is not just to send stuff out in the ether and hope that somebody listens. Our objective is to land a punch 
on Capitol Hill or with decision makers. And the punch is not a money punch because we don't have money. We don't have the money to go. We don't have a pack. It's a national pack. We don't have uh, the money to go off and do a lot of the things that, that you can do with money. What we have is the is smart people who know where the where the leverage points are and put you right on the leverage points so you can push the buttons so you can so you can start pushing the lever and if you have if you have the right lever the right fulcrum you can move anything with enough force and that's why the goal of of increasing our email lists dramatically exists that's why We've spent the resources this year to increase our Facebook presence from 121,000 to 280,000 approximately. And we're gonna at least double that this next year, God willing. Um, that's why we're hoping to increase the truth social presence dramatically. Um, and you know, and having the conversation with Devin Nunes tomorrow is part, is part of that. Um, because the more people who we can mobilize, the more impact we can have the more reasons that politicians who are squishy on a lot of things then have to be firm, have to firm up. The pressure in Washington, D.C. is strong to, for big government. The, everywhere around you in Washington, D.C., people are benefiting from big government. Your neighbors are, work for the government. At least a few, everybody who lives here has met neighbors who work for the federal government. Everyone who works here, who lives here and is in Congress or is a staffer in Congress or is working in an administration, has, you know, sits there and they have programs they're trying to do. And of course, their programs are always good programs. But in order to get their good programs done, they got to vote for other people's bad programs. And it's only through our efforts that we slow this tide. And hopefully in 2025, we create an environment where the administrative state can be taken down by virtue of some simple changes in the law that will change that will change the power dynamic forever that's the goal that's what we're going to do we're going to get that done in 2025 we have to win some elections we have to figure out how to beat these guys who listen if john fetterman can win you know then they can run joe biden again he can never leave the base his basement and apparently you know 2.7 million people in pennsylvania vote for him so it's a so we have to figure out how to beat that, and we and we have a plan. We're going to work. We're working on it. It's going to cost a little bit of money, but it's a uh, but we've got a plan that I think will work. And so a plan that essentially says, you got two point seven million. Well, we're going to get we're going to have three million. You got three point five million. We're going to have three point eight million. We're going to put we're going to put so many people into play who are currently not registered to vote, are currently are registered but don't vote. We're going to create an environment where they feel they have to vote for the survival of this country, and we are going to beat their brains in. I am so irritated. I'll use irritated. We're, I'm so irritated over what happened in this election that we have, and quite honestly, we can't leave. I, I personally can't leave this up to the people who've been doing it. They, watching the 1980s-style campaigns they ran, which are really based on who, on who gets paid in terms of consulting contracts. I can't allow that to dominate anymore. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we have the resources starting now to make that difference. And it's going to be a fight. It's hard work, 
but I believe we've got a system that we've put in place that does work. And all we need to do then is to find the money to fully implement it. And that includes the voter integrity campaign, voter registration campaign, and a voter turnout campaign, all focused around free market, free and well, free, free enterprise issues and uh, and freedom issues. That's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're we'll fighting over. We're going to fight to take this country back, and we're going to do it. But we have to have the power to do it, and that means you. That means tell your friends, get your friends to sign up. I can't do this without you. That's just the truth. We're a very small staff. We have a very low budget uh, in terms of our overhead. I spend money on projects uh, as I can raise it, but by and large, our overhead is minimal. And I need you to, to get your friends to become the key element who are our sharing partners, who take our stuff, they share, share it, and encourage your friends to join the team. Because let's do to them what they're doing to us Let's not let us be a hand. Let's be a fist. And with that, I appreciate all you guys are doing, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. This is Rick Manning signing off, and uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow, 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. That's Eastern Time. So if you're on the West Coast, California, where I grew up, um, that's 7.30 a.m. So it's an early early bird thing for y'all. But, 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 we will, we will cut it up and, and push it out um off of a live off the live stream so you'll have a, a video version that you can grab um afterward as well but for now uh i just hope you'll put that on your calendar and i will see you tomorrow at 10 30 a.m this is rick manning americans for limited government signing off